0: Welcome to Equocity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Perland, and I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse, and lots of other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Dominique and I both love training, and when the two of us get together, it's always a non-stop conversation. And that's what we want to share in these podcasts. We want to share both our love of horses and the relationships that we have with our horses and also our passion for training. So, Dominique, I was just sharing with you experience I've had this past summer, not with horses, but with goats. That I had a pair of yearling goats visiting the barn for two weeks. And
1: cashmere goats.
0: Cashmere goats. <laughs> very elegant, very gorgeous goats. And when they first arrived, even though they've been handled a lot, by children growing up. When they first arrived, they were really afraid. Mm-hmm. They were they were afraid of being handled. And rather than just go in and impose myself on them, which I could easily have done, they were little animals. So I could have made them do anything that I wanted, but I wanted to build a relationship with them. So the way that I started was by sitting in a chair and just watching them. So they, they arrived in the afternoon And I spent a lovely evening just watching these goats and learning about goats and learning about these goats as individuals. And the following morning, The pretzels and the peanuts arrived Mm -hmm. and things changed that food was really for them the fast track into connecting with me and building a relationship with me and so well maybe the sitting in the chair made a difference too though the sitting in the chair definitely helped because initially they were a little afraid to come over so that sitting in a chair was a critical and important part to what unfolded over the following two weeks I'll fast forward a bit to how all of this evolved. Their graduation day, as it were, was at the end of the two weeks, they went back to the farm where they were raised, to the convent, and the sister who maintains this herd of goats also uses them in a 4-H program and uses them in other programs to help people connect with animals and, and also to help to connect with themselves. For children who are very reserved or shy or just to get them away from all of the technology to get them out of the house away from the
1: computer screens animals are great for that because they're you can have a connection where there's no judgment yes and so for children it's a space where they can be themselves with another yes and not feel judged
0: and these goats as i built a relationship with them over the two weeks that i got to know them what phenomenal i just kept thinking they would make the best therapy animals really oh phenomenal phenomenal animals do they spook easily yes they're fairly skittish okay so they're, they're an interesting combination of being very bold but also being very environmentally aware and they're different from the horses in that horses evolved out on you know, open prairie and goats are mountain animals mm-hmm. so goats like to climb okay. and jump but in terms of where we ended up, we ended up with these goats that were incredibly attached to me, mm. and even in two weeks in two weeks, and that I was definitely their person, their family, the the person that they came to for security, for support, that they wanted to go adventuring with. So the, the, si- the
1: sister didn't come for the during the duration of the two no. weeks, so she saw the beginning and the end. And the end, yes. Yes. She must have been quite surprised. She was, I think, very
0: impressed by what with the results. she was seeing. Yeah. And and it started by just sitting in a chair. Hmm. And it started with thinking about, what do I do next? had these peanuts and they're the peanuts in the shells. So you're feeding them these whole peanuts and- Oh, they eat the shells. They eat the shells and everything, which takes a moment to crunch down, which is actually useful because while one is chewing on a peanut that you can be focusing on the other, but still it's not how I would normally start horses. So in the horses, we put a lot of emphasis on the safety. You've got a large animal who wants what you've got in your pockets is very can, sometimes you're very excited by the food, very excited by the game, and what you don't want in the start of clicker training is to be correcting the animal when he's coming into your space. So one of the keys to the beginning of clicker training is to be non-reactive to behavior you don't like. And so I have these two goats in my lap and I'm thinking, oh, this is why I'd like to have protective contact. But mm. I didn't want to separate them because I, they were in a new environment. They were already nervous with all of the change. And I thought that having the security of one another was a good thing. One of the things that I've always so appreciated when I've come here to visit you at your home farm, is the care that you take in keeping friends together, Mm. keeping the horse friends together, and really watching and seeing, is this horse comfortable and happy with the bond that, that he's made with the horses he's with? And that's something I've so appreciated in your horse care, because when we're talking about horses not as livestock, but as the companions of our heart, that keeping these horse bonds together is important.
1: Well, I've certainly had the privilege to see many, many, many horses. Yes. And have made up couples, you know, offered friends to horses. And I've seen, you know, not all bonds are equal. Right. Some horses will really bond very strongly uh, with another horse. And so there are these, you know, they can not want each other. They may reject each other and that becomes quite clear when that happens. They may tolerate each other. And then when they bond, I mean, I've seen these very, very strong bonds and it's not always... And of course, you know, people say, well, if you separate them, they'll get over it. Of course, they don't die. But I think friendship can be quite important in a horse's life. Yes, and definitely. yeah.
0: We're not with them 24-7. So that time that they are out in a herd it's it's important that they are with herd mates that they're comfortable with Mm. um and and that the those bonds of friendship to the best of our ability really need to be respected yeah it's i think that's that's all part of training but also that an animal learns that they can leave that friend for a little while and life doesn't fall apart Mm -hmm. that's an important part of training as well yeah. So with these, with these goats, I had them sort of in my lap wanting the pretzels, which is step number one of, I have something that you want. Great. I have something that you will come over into my space and, and interact with me because I have these pretzels. But now it's time to get up out of my chair and go have a think about what I want to do next. And it was really so informative how much of what I know with the horses and what we do with the horses really informed my training with the goats. And, of course, one of the easy ways to start training of any animals with targeting. It gives you a really good read on how these animals learn. And my goodness, particularly the larger of the two, he was brilliant. What a fast learner. What a fast learner. And so eager so eager to engage and play and make connections and it's and to stay that step or two ahead of them was really the challenge because they were lightning fast Mm. in their learning and it made me really appreciate and think about the training often the training that I see both with dogs and horses where people get themselves in a little bit of a bind because they have all of this enthusiasm they have all the eagerness but it's not balanced with
1: an ability to settle yeah so important yes so important i think that's if if one wants to do clicker training well that's a concept that people really have to master because animals get very enthusiastic when they are clicker trained and so Uh, We need to be really aware of what we're reinforcing and making sure that we're also reinforcing a lot of calm behaviors. Yes. When clicker training goes wrong, it's because we've ignored this principle. That whole concept of for every behavior you teach,
0: there is an opposite behavior you must teach to keep things in balance. And it's,
1: it's something a clicker trainer should say every time before they go to bed at night. <laughs> it's or one when, of the mantras. Right, or when they wake up, because yeah. that's when they can train. But That's right. Yes. But that's one of the mantras. For every behavior you teach... You should teach an opposite behavior to keep things, things in balance. balance. And, and that,
0: that balance is referring to so many things. Mm. There's the physical balance. There's the, I've spent all this time getting you to go that I forgot about getting you to stop. Mm. There's the emotional balance. So mm. I had two really, really great learners. Two enthusiastic, energetic learners. Getting behavior was no problem getting them to do all kinds of things, no problem. Mm. But what I needed to make sure was that I created the balance of, can you also settle? And it it just reminded me so much of the training conundrums that people get in when they have not focused
1: enough on that. Well, we've all had that feeling that all of a sudden, we're not controlling the yes. session anymore yes. and the pace is not exactly what I... It's not me controlling the pace, so how do you do that? And, and our animal is getting frustrated. So right. you can
0: see... And one of the things that I was learning is what does a frustrated goat look like? Mm. You know, what does a frustrated goat do? Right. Can you recognize... Have you watched your animals enough that you recognize when your animal is feeling frustrated or feeling tired or uh, needs a break, what, whatever it is, have you spent enough time observing both the species and the individual that you can say to yourself, oh, I need to take a break right now and go have the proverbial cup of tea and think about what I'm doing and what do I do next? there's there's a lovely expression in training don't take score too soon so if i see that i'm getting a lot of enthusiasm well i don't want to get rattled and say oh i'm messing up these goats i don't know anything about goats but what do i do next how do i bring this back into
1: balance and so what do you
0: do well one of the things that the goats did for me which was very good of them they were in a stall with a dutch door and i was leaving the dutch door open because it's fairly warm i went to check on them first thing in the morning and i was only one goat in the stall oh oh <laughs> <laughs> like, oh dear and i could hear the other one bleeding outside and it's like oh no what's you know what am i going to find when i look over the... and and he was fine he was um but he had jumped out over this very tall dutch door was that the little one or the big the one? big one okay the little one stayed inside, yeah. but he couldn't jump that high. Well, or he chose not to. Well, I don't know. But it, what it showed me is they could be separated without having right. a drama. Without having a drama, so they solved that part of it for me okay. that I could separate.
1: Them. So you could you could sep- train them separately. No, right. you right. knew that you could do that. Right. Okay.
0: And so what I started to work on was teaching them to go onto platforms. So on to mats. So with the horses, we use mats a lot. Great
1: calming device.
0: Great calming device. So, you know, and with the horses, when we talk about mats, we're talking about doormat size pieces of plywood or rubber stall mat or carpet squares, anything that's a contrast with the surface that the animal is standing on. And, of course, with the horses, there's usually an initial learning curve of it's okay to step on this strange surface. So the initial part of teaching the mats, and the mats are one of the foundation behaviors that I teach, some of the initial phase is, can you approach this mat? Can you put your toe on this mat? And I will click and treat and click and treat and put you on a very high rate of reinforcement because your toe is, is ever so slightly touching this mat and it's, it's fine. So it's that building the confidence in the horse that
1: they can step on a strange surface. And so just for people who are not familiar with the mat, is the final behavior would be for a horse to stand square with his two front feet on the mat, yes, on that plywood square. But it's even more than that. So a horse So initially, the
0: horses are concerned about the mat, Mm -hmm. and then once they realize that it's a place of high rates of reinforcement, that good things happen on the mat, then they're eager to get to the mat. So the mat is, it's a phenomenal tool because it really teaches two sides of a coin. Of, I have an animal that doesn't want to move forward to something that he's concerned about, so can I build that relationship, can I build that trust, can I build that the rates of reinforcement, can I can I design a lesson that where we're teaching the skills that the horse is going to need to land on the mat? So it's referred to as constructional training. Mm-hmm. So with the with the mats, if I want a horse to step onto a mat, I will often have him on a lead because the mats are a great way for a horse to learn about good rope handling skills. So for me as a handler to learn about rope handling, And for me to introduce to the horse how to use the lead as a communication tool, and that it's not a tool that is used for corrections ever, Mm -hmm. but it is a communication tool. So I use the mats to teach the horse about this. But before we take the horse to the mat, we're asking, we're teaching the horse how to take a step forward, Mm -hmm. a step back and using that marker signal, the power of the marker signal, to have that precision as the horse starts to take a step forward, you have clicked and then you're reinforcing him. So that small one single step can you take? Can you take another single step? Can you take a step back? And it's referred to as constructional training because we're building the skills that I'm going to need to teach the horse to go onto the mat but I'm building those skills before I use the skills. Yeah. And that's a, such an important part of clicker training that I think all too often we jump in and we're, we're so goal-oriented in our training that we're trying to teach the skills at the same time that we're trying to achieve our goal. Mm. We're trying to teach a horse how to go forward at the trailer yeah. We're trying to teach the horse how to pick up his foot
1: when the farrier is there. We're, we're goal-oriented. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for me, when I look at the mat, for instance, the mat does become really, really a hot place to be. Yes. And so after the initial phase of teaching the horse to want to go on the mat, then it becomes controlling, having the control so that he doesn't drag me exactly, to the mat. Exactly. But so how can
0: you think... And that becomes then that horse that wants to drag somebody to
1: turn out. Because, exactly what why? I was going to say. So if I do not master this, I will not master the exercise of not being pulled into the grass. Exactly. So if if my horse is pulling me in the grass, I should go back in the arena and work with the mat and see if my horse will politely work with me um, moving towards the mat at the pace that I would like to go to the mat. Yes. So will he accompany me politely to the mat? Can we stop two steps before the mat? Yes. Can and we uh, back up even yes. though we're so close to the mat right. that it's really tempting to put that yes. foot on the mat. But no, we're gonna back up a little bit. And so once you once you have that And he's calm and settled about that. He's not right. becoming
0: like this coiled spring that's going, I'm two feet from the mat and I just wanna get onto that mat and and but you're making me back up and now I'm feeling conflicted and frustrated and, and it feels really punishing to me yeah no you've built you've built this in such a way that he's happy to go to the mat but equally so he knows that there's reinforcement if i back away from the mat right and that that they have built the stability the emotional stability to be able to wait it's kind of like christmas when you're very little do you do you hunt around in mother's closet to find the the presents and peek in advance or have you gained enough emotional control to wait for Christmas morning
1: to open the present we have to do a whole podcast on emotional control absolutely because that's definitely multiple podcasts oh, on yeah. that's definitely it's... a topic that
0: because it unravels more training than anything else mm the the emotional control and how do you how do you build it and, how, and when you have these horses that have gained that inner
1: stability what a joy they are what a joy and it's a necessity because it's a big animal I mean it's yes. one thing to have an out-of-control chihuahua but a <laughs> horse I mean you have to yes otherwise it's not pleasant and it can be dangerous so That's you right. need that emotional control and it's not pleasant for them either mm-hmm. if you
0: have that horse that where you're saying, we're going to the mat, but I didn't really mean it. We're not really going. And they're feeling that conflict and the stress Mm. and the frustration. It is that whole, you squeeze a balloon and it pops out somewhere else. And then you're surprised at, well, he never did that before. Well, where did it come from? It comes from that conflict. So it's a huge part. So in the mat training, we have the horses that can walk with us to a mat. They know what a mat is about, so when you approach the mat, they know how to stop on their own on the mat. I'm not having to micromanage and and stop the horse on the mat. And when I ask them, and they'll stay on the mat, so I can groom them. It's a great way to teach a horse how to stand quietly for grooming. I can walk away and get my saddle. It's a kind of ground tying. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the horse is managing himself. He's taking that responsibility to stay on his mat. And and when I'm ready to have him leave the mat, that he leaves willingly. So right. he doesn't s- stand stick. on the mat. He doesn't stick there going, why would I leave the mat when that's where all the goodies are? Right. So it's quite a extensive lesson, really, right. process yeah. that you yeah. go through to teach the horse... Ha- Full understanding of mats and then of course once you've got one mat then if one mat is good then you know 20 or even better so if you're taking that horse out to turn out instead of walking having to get from the barn door all the way whatever distance it is past all the tempting grass past all the other horses to the paddock gate with a young horse that's you know early spring the wind is blowing the horse is on his is his hind legs. And it can get really scary that instead you put out a whole series of mats and it's like stepping stones of success. So how did the goats do? Well, so the goats are really interesting because they're mountain animals. So getting up on things is what they do.
1: Okay. And
0: I had actually built them a little platform in their stall because I thought they would like to be uh, up on things. So they had already discovered their stall platform. And I, I decided not to use mats, because I wanted them to be aware that they were standing on something. And that, so I thought having them on a small platform. Okay. So an, an elevated. An elevated mat. If a foot went off of the mat, they would be more aware mm-hmm. that they had fallen off of the mat, that the idea was to put their feet on the mat. Hmm. So I had these small lightweight platforms that I had made for the horses and I started with those and the goats went right on them. I mean, there's no, there's no learning curve to it. Four feet or two feet? Four feet. Okay. Yeah, <laughs>
1: so there are they're within seconds there. Four they can, they can, I think they can stand on a pretty right. small oh, area. they absolutely yeah. can. They can but, like they pull all them they collect them their feet all together and they can. Yes and some of the pictures that if you go on
0: the internet and you you do a google search on mountain goats oh if you're at all if you're at all sensitive about heights you don't <laughs> want to look at these pictures because you'll see these goats perched on what looks like just sheer cliffs and yeah, what they're, perched is the right word. I know, and what yeah. they're standing on and how they, and of course what goes up has to go down, but hopefully safely. Mm. So their ability to stand on platforms and to stand on really small platforms is something that you don't have to train, they can do right. it. Mm-hmm. But what we did have to train is the idea is that you stay on this platform and that you're not coming over to me, you're not coming into my space, and They were, they're so cute. They could not ask for two more expressive individuals. So they would stretch out their little X and their little noses with this sort of pleading, oh, please, please, please give me a peanut. And of course that becomes the conundrum of what do you reinforce? Because, all right, you're on the platform, but your head position is stretching out. And so am I clicking and reinforcing a behavior that I don't want? What is it that I do want? Mm. One of the things that I started doing and that again that the horses taught me is to use the food delivery to mm. my advantage. So there are all of these lessons from the horses that again and again were informing how do I want to proceed with these goats. Because we are dealing with a large animal, and because we are safety is such a big concern that the way clicker training is structured around the horses creates a structure that I think is very transfor- transferable and very useful for other species, whether it's goats or dogs or giraffes. I have a friend who, who uh, consults in the zoos with giraffe training and she's told me time and time again how how much the horses the horse training has been used in the training of giraffes. So mm. you never know what species you're gonna be working with
1: well, I think with the horses, it's harder to get away with turning corners. Yes. What's the expression? Cutting corners. Cutting corners. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think yes. because it's a big animal, because it's spooky, because, you know, for the sensitivity of this animal, I mean, just food delivery. You could spend yes. two years on food delivery, making sure that food delivery is done in such a way that it it favors good training and not the opposite and you can use it i mean we you it can be with all species food delivery is really important but i think with the horses we really need and that's one of the things about your foundation lessons that i find so important and in the beginning i remember when when i was watching and listening i thought oh my god this is so much details I mean how much how much details do you need you know in order to do that right and as the years go by I realize that each of those details that you've thought about everything and they make a huge Huge difference difference. a huge difference so and they've come from the horses it's the horses that
0: have shown me that these details are so critical one of the Early places that I re- that this was really driven home for me it was when I was editing my very first DVD, and we had two horses who were brand new to clicker training. One was our stallion Sindri, who had just come from Iceland, so he was two weeks in the country, and the other was a Frisian mare. The owner of the Frisian mare, she was starting with the basic targeting with this horse, and her handling skills were very clumsy she couldn't get her hand out of the treat pouch her timing was off she was feeding in right next to her body and I've always been so grateful to her that she allowed us to use this video because it has helped I don't know how many thousands of people Hmm. get started because you can really see how important it is to do a dress rehearsal Hmm. to practice your skills before you go to the horse and to really clean up and have good, consistent, tidy handling skills before you go to your learner. That you make your mistakes with another human or in front of a mirror so that when you're with your animal, things go smoothly and you're not inadvertently reinforcing behaviors you don't want. And what, what this horse was doing was crowding and mugging. Now the other horse was handled by another of my clients and she very consistently each and every time, put her hand out away from her body in the same place. And Sindri went over and got his treat, and there was zero mugging, and there was never, he was never a mugger. Right and he's a stallion and so one of the important. things that now,
1: I've seen you do too with food delivery which I thought was pretty awesome is that you use it to uh, favor good balance yes yes and that for me was wow yes I mean you can even do that, that with do food that. delivery so meaning that when you feed your animal you make sure that they are in a position in a well-balanced position That's right that's, that's right. pretty awesome and what
0: was what was so interesting as, and and I hadn't really picked up the difference until I was doing the editing and when you're you know you're looking at video it's really startling the contrast what I didn't ju- what I didn't say to you as I was describing that is the second client who was holding her hand out so beautifully she was a dressage person? No, no. She was an Edie, my friend and client, panda's owner oh. who is blind. So the first person was doing something that's very normal for those of us who are sighted. Mm. She was following where the horse's nose was. Mm. So the horse's nose is getting lower and lower. She's feeding lower and lower. The horse's nose is coming into your space. You go where the, to where the nose is. That's what sighted people do. Anne can't do that. She can't see where, the, where Sindri's nose is. So she's saying, if you want the treat it's over here come and get it mm. and the consistency was perfect and the clarity was perfect so it's feed where the perfect horse should be right which takes us to the balance yes that when we feed where the perfect horse should be the perfect horse should be in good balance so if i if i want a horse under saddle to carry himself in good balance to be up and not leaning on the forehand then it makes so much sense to feed and and think of the thousands of times through the course of just a few days of clicker training you click and feed and if you click and feed so the horse is falling on his nose that's what he's practicing that's what his nervous system is learning that's how his muscles are developing to hold him in this out of balance position but if i click and feed so that he is in balance. So he's over, he's standing over his front end instead of leaning onto his forehand. If I click so that his neck, what I say to people is click so his neck looks pretty to you. Mm -hmm. And that can change. Your eye develops as you become more educated in a particular style of training or line of thinking about balance, your eye will change and you can change where you feed. But the, that feeding, using the food delivery to set up what is going to come next, to set up the next cycle in a behavior, to set up good balance, what a powerful tool. Mm-hmm. And I often think, what a disadvantage, people who don't, use, you know, who don't use food, what a disadvantage they have. And I know they don't think of it that way, but it's true.
1: Well, it's just one more tool in our box and it's a very powerful one.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes,
1: absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So with the goats what I was doing is 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 feeding them so that they're instead of stretching out towards me they were moving back a little bit in a position that to me looked more relaxed, more settled. I had to be a little careful in that at times I was getting them so their necks were curling and I didn't want to put them in the position that a goat would be in when it's budding oh, oh yeah that's true yes so there's this whole other so they were there were, so they what, have
1: horns but were they cut
0: or? no no they have horns oh and uh, what kind of horns like they, they sort of curl back so they they're these back. particular ones curl back but the way and and you would see them interacting with one another they did that that. they oh yeah they'll, they ride they they stand up mm-hmm. and then they charge and bang heads which is normal goat behavior but you don't want normal goat behavior directed at humans they had to learn just as our horses have to learn you know there are things that it's perfectly okay for two horses to do to one another mm-hmm. that's not okay for a horse to do to a human it's not okay for a horse to kick a human
1: no, but but if, we don't want to punish the horse. You should develop your eye, though, to see all the signs before it gets to that. So what you were saying is that before they they hit each other, they kind of lift up a little bit. And so as a trainer, you should not ignore all the previous signs right. before it gets to the full... Nor
0: do I want to trigger that pathway where the end conclusion is, I'm feeling frustrated, let me charge you. You know, these are all things that you want to be be aware of when you're training. And the mats were so helpful because the mats keep their feet in one spot. Mm-hmm. So it was really the mat work that was the door opener. So I had the targeting, but also the mat work. Mm-hmm. And it's it was the mat work that really helped to... S- to create that stability, and then the other thing that I did with them is every evening at the end of the day, I would take my chair in and sit with them again. Okay. So we started with sitting in a chair, and that didn't go away just because. Well, now I can use, you know, I can use uh, peanuts to get you to come and talk to me. That didn't go away. So at the end of the day, I would go in and sit with them, and they now they were not afraid anymore. They would come over, and the question became. What do goats like? Do do you like to be touched? Where do you like to be scratched? When I first started to you know sort of scratch them around their ears, they would stop eating, which was interesting. So they were at their hay. Hmm. They would go into stillness, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. But they didn't show signs of ooh, this feels good. You know the way when when you scratch a horse and they just Mm -hmm. their lips quiver and and their necks arch and they kind of show you where all Mm. the itchy spots are. Initially, I didn't get that, but each day that I did this, they started to show me those those little. Their eyes would get
1: soft. They started to relax under your touch. Yeah, Mm. and that's really. Would they eventually show you where they wanted to be scratched? Oh yes. Okay. And they would. Do they they groom each other?
0: I didn't see that. No, I didn't see the social grooming that you see in the horses. Mm -hmm. But they definitely. They they like being scratched. And the more that. The relationship developed the more you know, just anywhere and everywhere. Instead of being sort of frozen, their bodies just let go, and you could you scratch, and their their whole body would be in motion with this, and their eyes would get dreamy. And and if, if I stopped, if I took my hand away, they would move back underneath my hand. They'd lean into the the scratch. All those indicators that this is something that they want, and it's such an important part of teaching that settle. So some of what I would do is we would do a little bit of something that was exciting, maybe going from one mat to another mat. That was definitely exciting. Okay. And highly entertaining, especially the bigger one would sometimes, he'd leap up into the air uh, off of one mat and then land with the great exuberance on the other one. But after that... And then I would click, I'd reinforce, and we'd have a little bit of scratching time. Okay. And the... The point of this is, all of this takes time. It's so easy to overlook this, to just be doing, doing, doing. Oh good, you went to this mat, click, treat, click, treat. Now let's go to another mat, click, treat, click, treat. Let's go to another mat, stand there, we'll click and treat. And you stood there for a second or two, let's go to another mat. And, and you landed on the mat, click, treat. Now we'll stay there for another second or two, click, treat that. And then we're off again to something else, but there's really never pause hmm. because we're so active and busy and excited about the doing that we don't pause so it's it's land on a mat and take the time to just enjoy being on the mat take the time to scratch behind the ears it doesn't make for exciting video
1: hmm
0: it doesn't make necessarily it's not an exciting spectator sport right But it's good training. So there's that mantra of good training should be boring to watch. Mm -hmm. Of course, for us, it's never boring because we love watching training. But it's that idea that it's not about how
1: fast and how high and how, how... But that's one thing I think you do so well because every time I've seen you working with horses, you get all these wonderful behaviors but always, always... In a very calm way. The horses are never frustrated, they're never and yet you get these wonderful results, complex behaviors, piaffe, and but not that frantic stressed uh, look in the in the animal. And that for me is what to th- yes, thrive for. Yes, yes.
0: Because that anxiety undermines and it's not necessarily even ex- anxiety, it can be excitement.
1: Yeah, but the, the line can be finer. Huh? Yes. It can go from being exciting to becoming more anxious. Yes. And frustrated. Excitement and frustration can be pretty close sometimes. I love enthusiasm. Yeah.
0: This past winters, you know, speaking of mats with Robin, the, the flow at my barn is the doors are open so the horses can move from one area of the barn to another they have free access to the arena and the the barn itself and out into the paddock and so they can go wherever they want they have that choice and this past winter i was i would finish the barn chores and then i would be i put the mats down and and fengor and robin would come in and we'd have a lovely session with the two of them sometimes robin would be outside catching the early morning sun just to warm up and and he would hear the mats going down in the arena and come galloping yep. in, galloping full tilt into the arena, land on the mat and with this exuberant, here I am. And I loved that. Yeah. That kind of enthusiasm. There's just nothing like it. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And and oh, I wish I had gotten it on video because a couple times I was still doing the early morning cleanup with the wheelbarrow. And I had the mats uh, stacked against the side of the arena and Robin went over, picked up one of the mats, flipped it onto the arena floor, stood on it and looked over to me with this, well, <laughs> what are we waiting for?
1: I think that's one of the things that differentiates horses that are trained traditionally with horses that are clicker trained, that enthusiasm. Yes. I mean, we have to find strategies because the horses don't want to end the sessions, yes. whereas in traditional training, horses, the main, I mean, the ultimate um reward is to end the sessions. Yes whereas here horses don't want to end the session and so we have to have these strategies where okay i mean this has to come to an end i know you love it but and then continue to reinforce when they're back in their box so that the fun is not all All over over. when we leave the arena and so I think this enthusiasm certainly is yes. something that we love to see in our horses. What are some of the strategies that you've developed for your horses? Well, um, you know, I have this one horse. His name is Linus, and he really didn't want to leave the arena. But he loves to target pool noodles. So what we would do is we would play pool noodles from the arena back to the um, to the box. And in the box, we would still play a little bit. So that it wasn't for sure, I know when we leave the arena, I'm going to be back in my box in 20 yes. seconds, and then you will leave me, and that will be the end of the of the play t- today today. So we would continue to play in the box so that leaving the arena was not the end of the you know, the time together, right That is right. one strategy, right yeah. So I think
0: this would be a good time to say perhaps we should take a small break. Yeah, because
1: and, and we'll... I, I still have a lot of questions ah. for the next, the next time. Because I want to know if the goat met the horses, but that will be for next time. Oh, okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> Very good. So we will say goodbye for now and pick up goat sagas and horse sagas later. This was already a pretty long podcast, so we decided to stop there for now. But that wasn't the end of our conversation. In our next podcast, we'll continue on with a discussion that is very relevant to endings. We're going to be looking at the care and attention that needs to be given to how you end training sessions with your learners.
1: we'll also talk about arranging the environment for success and the importance of splitting your training into small achievable steps Thin-slicing, as we often call it. I will also talk about my little Shetland dog, whose name is Canelle.
0: I hope you'll join us for that podcast. To make sure you don't miss a single episode, visit the Equiocity.com website and subscribe to the Members section.
1: When you do, you will automatically receive an email announcement of our next podcast and you will gain access to our Members library.
0: Yes, and one of the things you'll find waiting for you on the library shelf is an article from my blog we think you'll enjoy. It relates very much to what we've been talking about in today's podcast. It's called Taproot Behaviors.
1: This article will give you some examples of how to build emotional control, which we talked a lot about today. As a part of this process, The article will introduce the concept that one behavior can reinforce another behavior. I have to tell you, this article triggered a lot of questions for me about conditioned reinforcers. I must have written at least five emails to Alex about it, and the conversation is far from over. I'm sure we will be talking about this again in the future, so make sure you subscribe and read it.
0: When you subscribe to the Members section, you will get the article. Plus, we have prepared a special audio recording of the article so you can listen to it just as you would a podcast. We hope you will enjoy the audio article and we look forward to sharing our next podcast with you.
1: Before we leave, we also encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a comment. See you next time. Bye-bye.